What is your most frustrating wait? Where are you most frustrated when you wait for something? Doctor's office, that's a classic one. That came up in the other service. Which one? What is it? On the phone, waiting on the phone. Doctor's office is a classic one. I shared the story before years and years ago. I was in another church, another location. Went to a doctor's office. The nurse said it would be an hour and a half before you get to see the doctor. I said, well, I won't be here. Well, how can you not be here? You have an appointment. I said, yes, I do at this time. Not that one. So, and again, this is one of these don't try this at home things. But I said, here's my phone number. Call me five minutes out. I guarantee you I'll be right here whenever you call me and I'll be here in five minutes. And she said, sir, we don't do that. I said, okay. And I left. About an hour later, she called me and I was there. Waiting in line. How many of you wait more than 10 minutes for a restaurant seat? And they say, it'll be a half an hour wait. Do you wait that long? Really? Wow, I'm impressed. Rachel's Roadhouse open, be an hour and a half in. I'm going, I won't be there. Just waiting in line, waiting behind a bus. How do you like that one? When it's 72 children being let off and there's no way to pass that bus. Waiting in line at a restaurant. Say I'm at Panera's Bread. Okay, it's one of my favorite. Been at Panera's. Okay, you got about six deep. You finally get up and the person in front of you who's been there for 15 minutes waiting, shooting the breeze and all those kind of things, finally gets up to the line and says, what do you want? Well, I don't know. What do you want? Well, I'm not sure. How about you guys? You know what you want? Hey, honey, is that one there any good? No, it's not good. I wouldn't. And they go through this whole litany of things and I'm going, just order. Waiting for traffic lights, waiting wherever it may be. It's unbelievable how, and I know you're going to be surprised by this, but it's one of my many flaws. Now, I know you've already figured that out, but it's one of my many flaws. I don't wait well. I got to the hospital visit. I shared with you a couple of years ago, Bob and I made a transition, and he oversees the administration and staff and the pastoral team, and I do a lot of pastoral care, and go to the hospital and visit in Butler, and and, and I love doing hospital visitation. I know that sounds strange, but I really love that aspect of my ministry life. And during pastoral care, I walk into Butler Hospital, standing in a lobby, and I'm pushing every button in all four elevators. And this lady's looking at me like I've lost my mind. And I said, I don't wait well. I'm waiting for the first one to come down. That's the one I'm taking. So I want to make sure I pushed all the buttons so that whatever door opens up, that's the one I'm on. She said, take the stairs. I said, I'm old. <laughs> I can get down the steps. I can't get back up. So I, I do that way. This morning, I'm going to talk about the weight. We're in Acts chapter 1. I want you to be there this morning. I take your Bibles out. You've got sermon notes this morning. Kind of catch you up from where we left off last week. And on the back side of that, or the other side of that, gives you some sermon notes for this morning. We're in Acts chapter 1. I want to lay the foundation in the first few verses We're going to stop on one verse specifically, verse 4 of chapter 1. And with all my heart, I think there are some really valuable lessons that God wants to teach me. I'm glad you're here to listen to what I'm learning. But I think there's some valuable things that God wants to teach me, and maybe you as well, in that process of waiting on God. I want to explore the context and the subject. So we're in Acts 1, chapter 1, verse 5 verses. In my former book, book of Luke, friend of his, Theophilus, he said, I began to write to you about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles 
whom he has chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while they were eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let me set the stage. These are the same guys that are hearing this particular context here and hearing these words of Jesus who had been with him for the last three years. They had seen a lot take place. Incredible things that they had seen Jesus do during that three years of ministry. And as they began to get near the end, they heard him talk over and over again about what the future was going to look like for them. He talked to them about what's going to happen when they go to Jerusalem. He talked about the fact that the Son of Man has to suffer and die. And as many times as they may have heard that, you wonder if they believed it. And then all of a sudden, they're there. They're there. They're watching him being taken away. They're watching it unfold. They're seeing the scourging and the beating. And then all of a sudden, he's on the cross. They watch him being taken down and laid in the grave. And they were probably there, possibly there, in the backside of it somewhere. Maybe they went somewhere in between the resurrection and the burial. Because they really, even though they heard him say he was going to resurrect, I'm not sure if they really believed it. And saw that the stone had been sealed. And there's no way he's coming back. After what I just saw, there's no way he's going to come back. And then all of a sudden, Jesus does in a miraculous way. You wanted to read an amazing story about the resurrection? Read Matthew's account. If you've never read Matthew's account of the resurrection before, it'll blow your mind. And they were a part of all of that. Now they get this opportunity to be with Jesus. They had no idea what was 40 more days. They assumed, okay, we've been with him for a while, died, rose again from the dead. We're in this for the journey. And then all of a sudden, near the end of that 40 days, he's gone. Spent a lot of significant time with them, demonstrated his power, encouraged them, he challenged them, he taught them. The challenge he gave them, take the gospel to the end of the earth, was an impossible task to pull off with their own power and abilities. They already experienced that. They saw how inadequate they were at times. The great thing about Jesus, he not only assigned them a task, he promised them the enabling to do it. Power of my spirit. In verse 5 and 8. That promise came with an instruction to wait. And today we're going to deal with the wait. That awkward, sometimes frustrating, sometimes intense time between what we sense the promise of God to be that I know is my spirit is going to come and the reality of it coming to pass. I sense it in my heart, but I don't have it in my hand. A time between the promise and the power, the time between the prayer and the answer. I want to meet some of the characters, introduce them to you this morning. Verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. Sabbath day journey walked to the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room they were staying in. Those present were Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas son of James. They all joined together continually or constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, which is a whole other sermon in and of itself just because of the nature of who they are. Verses 19 to 20 speak of the end of Judas's life. The Judas referred to here in verse 13 is obviously a different one than the Judas that betrayed Jesus. In the first few verses of this chapter, you see some amazing time with Jesus. 
incredible opportunities. Again, they had no idea it was only going to last 40 days. They had assumed that it would be a long time. They had some amazing things that probably had taken place during that time. That's a Bible study I don't want it to be a part of. He gives them a promise and a challenge in chapter 1, and then in chapter 2, it all comes through. The Spirit of God lands on them in unbelievable ways. What you will see over the book of Acts, and I said to you last Sunday morning, continues throughout the ages, is incredible. Jesus said to them in John 14, because I go to the Father, you're going to be able to do more than I did, even more than I could, you could imagine you will do. But I doubt it. They honestly believed that. They're going to see it become true. And they're going to see it become reality. Healings in unbelievable demonstrations of God's power. But these verses here, this one here specifically in verse 4 until chapter 2 unfolds, may not make sense to them. The verses in between may seem somewhat mundane, and if we're honest, we spend a lot of our time there sometimes. Right between wonderful experiences with God and his people and the everyday reality of life. In the upper room are gathered 120 people. Most of them have spent some incredible days with Jesus. I would have a tendency to bring some excitement and anticipation to your lives. They'd been with Jesus. But now in verse 9 of that same chapter, he leaves. You could almost liken this to some Monday mornings, not for all of you. But sometimes Monday morning may feel like that. Church was wonderful. The music was incredible. The preaching was amazing. All right, use your imagination. Sunday school was challenging. Being together with other believers was awesome. But now it's Monday. Now it's Tuesday. I'm not hearing the music. I'm back to facing everyday issues. The promises of God are very much alive in me. I know that when I sang and when I prayed, he heard my prayers. But when are the answer going to come? Do you imagine how these people felt? The presence of Jesus, the power of Jesus. But now... The wait. Waiting time. Jesus said not many days hence. It's so like Jesus to say that. Why doesn't he ever get specific? Tell us when. I'd have waited Tuesday at 4, week from today, next month on the 12th. I'd wait. That's fine. For all I know, this could be one of those thousand years as a day things, and then I've got a really long wait. I'm not sure if you're more spiritual than me, but I don't wait well. And the waiting time between the asking and the believing is long enough, but between the asking and receiving sometimes seems forever. Sometimes that waiting time between the asking and believing is long, but between the asking and the receiving sometimes seems forever. Maybe some of you can relate to this. You've asked God for a healing. You know he heals. You're absolutely convinced that he heals. You know the word of God. You had the elders pray over you. But now you wait. And as of yet, the healing hasn't come. Maybe you're asking for his gifting. Maybe you are asking him to break a habit. You're maybe asking for the fruit of the Spirit to be manifest in your life. Clearly, that's consistent with God, what God wants for us. And, and I know I'm, I'm not what I used to be, and I don't want to be what I used to be anymore. I know what I'm supposed to be. I know what the Word of God describes I ought to be, but I'm not there yet. And keep slipping back and forth, and I know what he wants, and I know what he offers, and I know the power available to me, but I'm not there yet. And no matter how many times I, I pray and I ask and, and I want that bad habit to be broken, I, I still am not there yet where I want to be. Maybe you're praying for a friend, a spouse, or a child. 
You're asking God to change them. You want God to save them. Is that his will? Of course. Don't you want every member of your family to be in the kingdom of God? Don't you want them to be followers of Christ? Don't you want your children to be followers of Christ? And so you pray. Train up a, way, train up a child in the way he should go. You did that. But they're still running from God. And you wonder when. Maybe you're praying for a child. To have a child. You know it's what God wants. You sense that in your spirit, but it's not happened yet. You wonder, how long do we pray? How long do I continue to pray? Why hasn't he answered yet? What's he doing in the meantime? My friends of ours have been friends of ours for a long time, ever since we've been in ministry. By the name of Jim and Sherry, they're pastors in our district. They lost seven babies to miscarriages. Tried over and over again, some of them long-term, some of them near the end, they lost seven babies to miscarriage. Finally had an eighth, whether it was adopted or they had it on their own. I can't remember the story, but finally had the eighth. And on the day of the baby dedication, the baby died of crib death. It was a Sunday morning. I remember them asking. I remember them waiting. And finally, God, after all of those years of waiting and all that heartache, finally had answered. And here they are at this moment and that baby died. I sat on the edge of my bed on a Sunday morning and said, I'm not going to church. What do I say? Why didn't God answer? What is he doing? Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've prayed for a godly mate. You know it's what God wants, but where is he? Where is she? Maybe it's a breakthrough in your job. I got to go to work tomorrow. I've been asking God to give me a new attitude or a new job. And yet tomorrow I've got to have a paycheck and I've got to go. And I've been praying for an attitude change or a job change. I've been praying for that job and it still hasn't come. Maybe it's a breakthrough in your marriage or maybe in your ministry. For some things, it's been a really long wait. Maybe it's within the context of this passage of Scripture. You asked for the power of God's Spirit to pour itself out in your life, but it hasn't come yet. You're not even sure if you fully understand what that looks like, but you know it's what God wants for you, so you wait. In your sermon notes, there are some questions that I ask every once in a while, and maybe in that waiting period you have as well. Maybe there are a number of other questions that you ask. Did he hear my prayer? I know he heard my prayer. I know his word says he hears my prayer. But I haven't seen the answer yet, and I've got to honestly say that I trust his timing, even though it wouldn't be mine. And I really do believe that God knows what's best. And so I have to find myself wrestling through those questions. Do I trust him? Do I believe in him? Do I know his timing is perfect? And I know he's heard my prayer. This passage of scripture, as odd as my setup may sound, gives some really powerful advice that I want to share with you this morning. And and I want you to process it in your journey with God. Peter is the speaker in the context that we have here in Acts chapter 1. And Keith will do a phenomenal job next Sunday morning talking to you about the, this Peter as opposed to the one of the Gospels. But Peter stands up and he kind of puts everything into perspective. He starts in verse 16 by saying, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke about a long time ago through David concerning Judas. And then he talks about what happened to him and the fact that transition is going to take place. You've got 120 people full of faith and excitement. They hear all the promises of God and they know that Jesus is alive and then all of a sudden he's gone and 
And things that they never thought would happen did, and they're kind of wrestling with uncertainty. And it could be easy for them to move from anticipation and excitement to fear and uncertainty. Is that what was going to happen? Did God know that? Was it all about his timing? Is it something we missed? And even the worst thing you could think of, something we never thought could happen, God can still use. Even in this scripture, even in this section of scripture, in this case, it says the scripture had to be fulfilled. Peter stands up. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know, while we were frustrated and confused, what we need to remember, God was not. A thousand years ago, God knew it. He used what we would have thought a devastating event to carry out his plan. God is never caught off guard. Nothing can hinder the purposes of God in our life if we continue to trust him. So lesson number one in the waiting room of God in your notes this morning is just simply rest in the providence of God, even if I don't understand and know completely that God is in control. There are times in our lives when we're frightened by unexpected events that seem out of nowhere or disrupt our lives or our plans and you have somebody walk into your life and give you a verse and share something with you or maybe a word of some kind and it's not what you wanted to hear at that moment. You don't want to know that everything works out. You just want to wrestle with the uncertainty and that's okay. Maybe you had a plan that you thought God would work one way and he's working it out another way and now you're thrown off. When I get into those situations where I'm lost, afraid or abandoned or confused, It's at times like that that I need Peters to remind me, even though it may sound basic, it may sound trite, it may sound simple, it may be something that I've always known, I need to remember that there's a God in heaven and he is in control, even when life seems out of control or at least uncertain. When I get worried about something going wrong in this church, I'm just reminded this isn't mine, it's his. We need to know from God the worst thing you can imagine is not slipped by the attention of God. From the beginning, sovereign God has worked out his will and fulfilled his purposes through people, all kinds of people. Never forget <coughs> growing up in the CNMA and in the middle of the height of the movement of God all over the world and missionaries all over Southeast Asia in the midst of all the devastation of the war going on in Vietnam, coming a day in 1975, I think it was, when they all had to be evacuated. And everybody wondered, my, why would God allow that to happen? These missionaries are bearing fruit. They're seeing God do some amazing things. Why would he remove them? Why didn't he just stop that war from going on? This sovereign God, he can do anything. Why would that happen? And why are all the missionaries having to leave? Five or ten years ago, I found out that even after all of that and after the missionaries having to leave and never being able to return again, that the church of Jesus Christ, even in the CNMA, increased over ten times in the middle of all of that uncertainty. The church of Vietnam is larger than the CNMA church in the United States, even after all the missionaries had to leave. In the waiting room of God, when everything seems uncertain, I need to be reminded, maybe you do as well, that God's in the throne, that God's in control. None of his purposes in your life or in his church will ever be stopped until the end of time and the world hears doesn't mean there won't be times when we're confused and scared and afraid. Times when you may be hurt and discouraged. Times when I'm pointed back to the word of God. One that you can write down in your sermon notes this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. When Paul, as honest as he knew how in 1 and 2 Corinthians, shared his heart in difficulty 
better than any minister I've ever seen. He said, we're hard-pressed on every side, to be really honest with you, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, we're confused, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but never abandoned. We're struck down, but thanks God, we're not destroyed. Peter stood up and says the same thing. Look, I don't understand it. Probably couldn't believe it, didn't see it ever coming. But one thing he knew for certain, God was in control. I need to know in the waiting room that God's in control. Even when I don't see the answer, understand the situation. I've got to decide, do I trust him or not? There's another practical help in this passage that I want to share with you this morning. Not only to rest in the providence and providence and sovereignty of God, but the second thing is to this, to do this. Listen clearly for the voice of God. Listen for the voice of God, which means you have to do what? Spend some time with God in prayer. Look at verse 14 and verse 24, the same section of Scripture. They all join together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Verse 24, the same chapter, they prayed. Lord, you you know all of us. You know our hearts. Tell us what to do. Tell us which way to go. In this case, they really believed that they needed to replace Judas and two men were in front of them and they needed to know what to do. But instead of just simply deciding, it says they prayed. Lord, you know what we need to do. Show us which one of these you've chosen. One of the characteristics in the waiting room that I have there for you is uncertainty. Many times we'll move to one extreme or the other. We'll just move ahead without God. Or we'll move ahead of God. We won't wait. We won't listen. We won't trust in his sovereignty. We won't ask. We'll just move ahead. The second is the opposite of that. And to be paralyzed and uncertain and not able to make any decisions. Have it stop you and not able to move on. Verse 21. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of these men who have been with us the whole time. The Lord Jesus was living among us. Now, when you compare the task of replacing Judas... With the Bible studies they had with Jesus, with the power that was promised to them in a few days, with the task of world evangelism, you want to find yourself saying like them, just bring on the baptism. Why are we going through this? The task seems somewhat mundane, but if we're honest, it's a part of the ordinary times of life. In this case, they had a decision to make. They had some criteria in verse 21 and 22, and they found it necessary to choose one of the men who had been with us the whole time beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up. Two people fit to bill. How do you decide? How do you decide between two good choices? Both fit the criteria. Both good men. Both would do a good job. So what do they do? Verse 24, they prayed and they listened for the voice of God. I'm sure you've been there at some point in your journey with God. I know I have been. I certainly know we as elders have been on a regular basis. God, is this what you want? Is this the direction you want us to go? Is this what you want us to build? Is this what our next steps look like? Please tell us. We need to know. We need to follow your voice. We need to listen to you. We need to move on. We know we need to continue until you return. So tell us what to do. Look at what they did in verse 26. It says they cast lots. You know what that means? They played rock, paper, and scissors. They flipped a coin. Some theologians accused them of making a mistake. They got ahead of God. They didn't wait long enough. They should have waited for Paul. That was God's choice. You see, Messiah is never heard from again. The problem with that, though, is that neither were most of the disciples, most of whom were making this decision. Sometimes we need to wait. Sometimes we need to move ahead. 
Isn't there a rule? Not always. Sometimes we just need to make a decision, move ahead, and number three, trust God. When you got a decision to make between two good things, get really good advice, pray, seek God's face with every fiber of your being, and then make that decision and move on with God. Sometimes we get so mystical and analytical, we get paralyzed about making decisions in life. Now, in this case, they had a different cultural perspective on casting lots. Proverbs 16.33 said the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. That was part of the fabric of their culture, that God would direct the lots. When all things are equal, pray, make a decision, and trust God. A lot of times in our study of the book of Acts, you'll hear this phrase, and as well throughout the New Testament, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. It wasn't written on a wall. didn't have a letter in the mail. didn't have a clear written plan of what to do, but it seemed good to us. We sensed we heard. We know we've prayed. We sought his advice, and so we move, and we go in this direction. Sometimes you do get a really clear word from God. Sometimes you just sense in your spirit, this is what you need to do. In this case, they've been led to cast lots. And we look at that and say, you've got to be kidding. God wouldn't lead them to do something crazy like that. Really? Remember Jericho? Imagine in your mind being Joshua, going to God, saying, what do we do? And God says, I want you to march around seven days. And then on the seventh day, I want you to march around to seven times. I want you to blow some horns and the wall will fall down. You can almost see Joshua going, you've got to be kidding. Now, let me be really clear on this. You want us to march around the city of Jericho six times, and on the seventh day, you want us to march around the seventh time, and then you want us to blow some horns, and the walls will come down. And you can almost see God saying, yeah, that's what it said. I've almost pictured Joshua trying to go back and explain that to his leaders. You're never going to believe this one. This is what God told us to do. They followed And God did exactly what he said he would do. One of the things you'll notice in the book of Acts is there's not a lot of formulas to follow in Scripture. We like formulas, five steps to godly decisions. Follow these eight principles and God will work in the same way every time. He doesn't. You can't put him in a box. You can't reduce him to a formula. Sometimes we need to wait. Sometimes God will clearly tell us what to do. Many times he'll lead us in ways we don't always understand. And sometimes we'll make a decision that it may not make sense at the moment, but we're clear that it was the right decision, and we'll all look back and know it was. But absolutely every part of it makes us absolutely dependent on God. And when we're not, or don't trust his leading, or listen to his voice when we get it, that's when we get into really deep trouble. So how do we handle waiting on God? Rest in the providence of God. Absolutely certain that God is sovereign, God is in control. And even when the world seems out or my life seems out of control or things seem out of control, he's not. Listen for the voice of God, which means you need to spend time seeking his face. Getting around godly people. Not people who tell you what you want to hear, but around godly people who speak wisdom and listening for the voice of God. And then move ahead and trust his leading. Now, Maybe it's not a big problem for you. Maybe you don't mind the waiting room. You're okay with that. But I got to believe that every once in a while we find ourselves between the asking and receiving, wondering what God's doing, what he's up to, why haven't I seen it yet? And my encouragement is to keep 
believing and never give up. Got to believe that one or two of you may be in the waiting room of God now. Somewhere between the prayer and the receiving. And you needed this encouragement this morning. I hope it was. Let me pray. Father, I love the fact that your word is not only so powerful, so poignant, but speaks in ways that we don't always see and reminds us of things that we may have read before, but didn't see the lessons in it. And and every once in a while, you reveal yourself to us in really phenomenal ways and remind us that you're in control. Got to believe that one or two of my family here this morning are in those times of waiting. They prayed. They sought your face. They longed for that child, that spouse, that coworker, that friend to come to faith. They longed to see that prayer answered. They longed to see a transition and a job opportunity change or whatever that may be. And I, I pray, God, as in these next days or moments or hours or even these few seconds now, that as they pray and as they ask and as their heart begins to express to you what it is they're waiting for, I'm delighted to know that you listen. And so, Father, hear as some of your children pray. And I ask that, as Paul did, that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep our hearts and minds in tune with you. In your name I pray. Amen. This message came together about 10 or 12 years ago in a whole other context. I was absolutely convinced as we began our study in the book of Acts, although it seems like an obscure piece, that it was critically important for us to hear. And about two or three weeks ago, God began to crystallize why the timing of what I just shared and what I'm about to share is so important. And it was amazing when I saw how God put all of that together. If you're visiting us today, we're honored to have you. I want to talk to the CAC family for just a few moments. You're free to leave. You're certainly free to stay. But I want to talk to the CAC family for just a few moments. So if you are visiting us today and need to leave, we're loving to have you and uh, delighted that you're a part of our family here this morning. A number of years ago when I came as a senior pastor, I made you a promise. And when you make a promise like that, you find that you need to keep it no matter what the situations are. And a promise was that any time that there was something going on in a context of the ministry of CAC, specifically with staff, that I would tell you what's going on as opposed to reading it in a letter. And I would tell you personally as opposed to someone else sharing it. And this morning I want to do that. As many of you know that on a regular basis we evaluate all the ministries of Community Alliance Church. We're continually seeking God Exactly what I said this morning. We're listening for his voice. We're asking for his direction. We're constantly seeking his direction on where we need to move in the future, what that's going to look like until he returns, and that how then it relates to what we do, how we do it, and who's doing it. A while ago, we began to look closely at our adult ministries, and we initiated some changes. As the process of that change continued, Bob, Thomas, the elders, and I focused on what we needed to do to develop that area and what we believe God was desiring for our future. Through a several-month process, Bob, the elders, and I were convinced that as difficult as it is, it was essential for us to make a change in the leadership of that department. As a result of that, Ted Harris will be moving on as adult ministries pastor, and 
seeking a position in another church that would better utilize his considerable gifts and his ability. And we will begin a search this week for someone with a different leadership style and personality to lead that, lead that ministry into the future. Decisions like this are never easy. But believe me, the elders, Bob and I, were convinced, as difficult as it was, that it was the best decision, the right decision for us and ultimately for Ted as well. Certainly over the next, last 10 years, Ted has impacted a lot of our lives and made a significant difference. And we want you to take the opportunity over the next several weeks to thank him for that. His last day here will be June the 4th. He's going to go on a missions trip with our young people as two of his children are going. And in that process, he's been looking for another church and we're waiting on God for when that will be. And we're trusting that you will pray for them as well and continue to pray for us. In all of this process, we're all in that waiting stage. And while we wait to see where God will lead us and while Ted waits to see where God will lead him, there are three things that I want to remind you of. Rest in the sovereignty of God. Listen for his voice as we have been. Trust him and ultimately trust those of us in leadership who've made this decision and walk in following his steps. Let's pray. Father, we wait. Not an easy decision to make. It's a difficult one. It impacts a lot of people. Impacts our ministries here, but we are absolutely certain you've led us this way. And so we trust you. We rest in your sovereignty. We've listened clearly to your voice and believe we have heard it. And now we follow you and we move on. And I pray, oh God, in the name of Jesus, that you will clarify for Ted and Sarah and what their future looks like and for us as to who would take on that ministry and what that looks like for us as a church and what that looks like for them. I trust that, oh God, in the name of Jesus, that you will lead us and walk with us in this journey. For 108 years, you've done an amazing job in the life of the people and the ministry and the staff at Community Alliance Church. I'm absolutely convinced you will continue to do that until you return. And so, Father, we trust you, we walk with you, and we ask in the name of Jesus that you will continue to keep us looking always to your face, listening for your voice, and following your leading. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I'm not naive enough to know that you don't have some questions, and we certainly want to give you the freedom to do that, uh, to call Bob or I, and we'd be happy to answer those if we can. We continue to ask that you pray for us and pray specifically for them, that God will lead us in the future, and all of us will look at this someday knowing it was the right decision. We believe it is now, and we trust that you will agree with us and trust us in that process. If you are in that waiting room, and you'd love for me to pray for you because you've not seen the answer yet, just love to spend a moment in prayer. I'd love to do that for you. God bless you. Have a great day. And I'll see you personally in a couple of weeks.